And welcome to penpodcast.com with your co-host Nico Pingan of Pen for Hire NYC. Today we are joined by somebody who has been working with teens, was afforded the opportunity to learn the products marketing towards kids, and her goal is to educate parents, teachers, and concerned adults of the behavioral signs to look for and the products designed to encourage poor lifestyle choices. And because of this, she has written a book titled The Missing Piece, Your School Resource Officer as an Ally in Parenting. Please welcome Dr. Beth J. Sanborn. Hi there. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming aboard and uh, giving some of your time for us to be able to dissect your brain, as well as have an engaging conversation about everything that you do. Thank you. This is really exciting. It's a little late for me. And you got me to put makeup on after I went to the gym. So I'm I'm all yours. All right. Perfect. And where are you calling in from? So I am just outside Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So I'm not too far from New York. It's an easy train ride to get up to Times Square. And because I'm a tourist, I would go to Times Square. Ooh, that's interesting. How do you like the weather so far? Um, today is our first day of snow, sleet, rain, so I'm not a fan. I'm actually thinking about heading a little further south. Florida seems really appealing right now. Oh, completely, completely agree. Now let's get to the nit and gritty, the interesting things. Now, since you have this amazing, pretty much a brand going on, we're going to start off with the book first. So what got you into the idea of creating a book regarding providing pretty much like a resource guide for parents and people who essentially don't want their kids or kids in general uh, to make poor lifestyle choices? Well, it, it's funny. And I realize that we are here to talk about the book, but that is actually one of the the last pieces. I have Ooh. so many different things that I'm so incredibly passionate about. This just seemed like the next logical step. So mm. let me back up because the title is called The Missing Piece, Your School Resource Officer as an Ally in Parenting. So the first question is, what's a school resource officer? So Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. is my first and primary passion. I have been a uniformed police officer for 25 years. I'm just starting Mm -hmm. my 26th year. And I spend a lot of money up here and a lot of money right here to try and (laughs) working with kids and being relevant to them. And um, in 2014, towards the end of the year, my lieutenant sent me a text message and said, hey, there's this new program starting at the school district, the school resource officer, and the hours are Monday to Friday, seven to three. I think it would fit your personality. It would suit the school district. Are you interested? But I don't really know what it involves. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm in the grocery store. I've got my phone. I'm like responding. Yes. With all sorts of exclamation points, <laughs> entirely too many exclamation points for a grown adult. But <laughs> when the text message finally went through, And fast forward a little bit, I learn about the position. What it means is that a school resource officer serves three essential functions in no particular order. So we're Mm -hmm. uniformed law enforcement. So my kids all know me as Officer Beth in a traditional police uniform with a vest and a tool belt around my waist. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We are informal counselor mentors, which means we get the opportunity to spend 180 days with kids and work with them in in a time and a place where I call it emotional neutrality. Okay. And what I mean by that is that kids are in school, like nobody wants to be in school, but they're comfortable there. It's their home environment. It's their home turf. Correct. They're not threatened or intimidated by me. 
They see me every day, 180 days with a smile on my face saying, good morning, have a great day. How was your algebra test? Did you guys win the baseball match? That was an amazing art show. That's what they get to see from me as a good positive role model. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I'm a public safety educator. So not walking into a chemistry class and performing experiments because that would require 911 and all sorts of other messes. <laughs> But I can talk to kids about what to do when you get pulled over by the police, what your Mm -hmm. rights are, the Constitution, the dangers of drug and alcohol use and sexting and all of these issues that are affecting our communities. So I become a school resource officer Mm -hmm. and I realize that there's a lot of misunderstandings about who we are and what we do. Mm -hmm. And the perception of you put a cop in a school. Well, what do police do? They arrest. So if you put a cop in school, clearly they're just there and there to arrest kids, right? No. <laughs> All of what we do. Many of us are the older cops, the ones who got into policing because we wanted to help people and we wanted to make mm-hmm. people's days better. So when you work with kids, you get the opportunity to make a positive impact on their lives every day with every single interaction. Mm. And that's pretty amazing. Right. The dangerous part is that you can also have a negative impact on their lives. So we have to be incredibly mindful that we're working with kids. So that our uniform and our language and our body language doesn't negatively impact them. So now that I've established that, when I realized what good work we did, I decided I have this ability. I need to like shout from a mountaintop the good work that we do. So I went Mm -hmm. back to school and I earned my doctorate. And I did research on Pennsylvania school resource officers because I wanted to have a voice to tell people, no, we are not out there just arresting kids for stealing a pack of Oreos from the cafeteria. I mean, I feel like I've stolen a pack of Oreos from the cafeteria. Let's be honest. And yet we're not arresting for that. So then during the pandemic, when I had some downtime and police community relations were really, really bad Mm -hmm. and everyone was so skeptical and worried of each other and there was so much mistrust and so much anger and hate. I was like, all of this mistrust and, and, and calls for revolutions when it comes to policing, I was like, wait, it was translating to pulling cops out of schools. And I'm like, but wait, wait, you're missing the picture. So I was like, you know what? I took my research, I took it nationwide, and I was able to get a bigger voice in that respect. And I thought, I'm going to do something else. Mm. And that's how this book came about. Because what I wanted to do is I wanted to specifically talk to parents. Because have you ever met a more powerful group when it comes to kids than a group of minivan moms who want the best for their kids? <laughs> get anything that they want. So I wanted to write a book from parent to parent to talk to you mm-hmm, and say, hey, mm-hmm. you know what? This is who a school resource officer is. This is how we're trained and how we make our decisions. But this is what it looks like every day. These mm. are the interactions that we're having. And these are how we interact with kids. Because I wanted to educate folks to be for them to say, oh, my God, wait, you're on our team? You're not just going to swoop in and arrest our kids? No. And I get this really cool perspective of being mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. uniformed police officer and having kids trust me and come to me and divulge things and disclose things and talk to me honestly and realize that I practice what I preach and that smile is real and I care for them genuinely. I love them in a totally appropriate way. (laughs) And they know that I'm there to protect them and help guide them to make good, smart, healthy choices so that they can be productive members of society. 
that's pretty cool because now it makes even more sense regarding the missing piece because you needed to know you know what what was the whole puzzle that the missing piece is actually completing so here's the thing what i talk about with this whole missing piece is that everybody has different pieces to their personality they show different sides like you show some a different part of you when you're with your spouse than you do with your boss or when you're with your best friend or your kid. And it doesn't mean you have multiple personalities. It's just what you show in that time and in that moment. So when you gather together all of the invested stakeholders who know a kid, they can put all those little pieces together Mm -hmm. so that we can get a clear and full picture of a kid. So the goal is to be able to teach parents and educators and social services providers those little teeny, teeny, tiny pieces that are often hidden right in front of us, hence mm. hidden high and hammered, which we'll get to, but mm-hmm, all those mm-hmm. little indicators are hidden right in front of us. And when we put all those puzzle pieces together, we can see a kid who may be approaching a crisis and then intervene before the crisis is reached. Wow. That's like, that's really like on a private investigator detective level. (laughs) Well, I mean, I spent a few years as a detective, but really the ultimate goal is to help educate people to let them know that I'm part of the team. I'm not swooping in to arrest their kids when they Mm -hmm. make bad decisions. Kids are kids. They're going to make mistakes. Right. It doesn't mean that I have to take law enforcement action. It doesn't mean a kid making a mistake in school is going to be the hurdle that they can't overcome that will prevent them from being successful. Wow, that's actually pretty important to think about because when I was growing up, I didn't have a school resource officer. So that's actually pretty, pretty cool to think that, you know, you're pretty much providing that that exposure uh, to, to the police to children. And they're not really going to be looking at police as like the, the scary entity, you know, and if parents even think about bad mouthing them, they put you know, Officer Beth, she's not like that. Exactly. We're bridging the gap and we're creating these long-term positive relationships. That's that's pretty intriguing. And uh, I'm glad that you did the book because now you're actually getting on this platform to talk about the other things that are also the things that you came to talk to us about. Uh, Because when you mentioned that that was pretty much the end goal or the most recent thing that you've done, it does make me intrigued about what you've been doing that even made you start to think about wanting to write a book because writing a book is pretty much taking all your life experience or a a large majority of your life experience and putting it together. So there must've been something that catapulted that movement that made you decide to write a book. And I would very much appreciate if you could share with us today, what enabled you to start actually doing that movement to talking to parents, to talking to the media about this. That's an easy answer, believe it or not. A single word is just passion. Mm. When I was in policing, I mean, I still am in policing, but when I was in the patrol division Mm -hmm. and I thought I was going to save the world and set the world on fire and I'm going to arrest bad guys and help the good guys, that's not exactly what policing is about. It's a lot of Mm -hmm. bureaucracy and red tape and check boxes. And and it, it it wasn't all that I expected it to be. It didn't really fill that void of wanting to help people. Mm-hmm. And like I said, when you get to work with kids, you have this ability to really make someone's life better just because you interacted with them. Mm-hmm. Because even in affluent schools where there's all the money and all the resources in the world, you're still going to have kids who are hungry. You're yeah. still going to have kids who don't know where they're going to sleep at night. 
They don't have anyone to tell them they love them or to tuck them in at night or to ask how that English test went. You're going to find that anywhere and everywhere. And when you're truly invested in your community and you get into policing because you want to be that community helper, Mm -hmm. you fill those roles. And the greatest part about being in schools is that I didn't leave all my policing skills behind. In my community, I know where to get stuff. If you need anything, you ask a cop. They know where you can get stuff. (laughs) And now when you go into schools and you've got kids who need school supplies, who need winter coats, who need deodorant, who need laundry detergent, guess what? I know how to get this stuff. And I can make those connections to be able to fulfill those needs for other people who might not otherwise say so. Because Mm. here's the thing. I can recognize what's normal. That's what I do. I watch. Mm -hmm. I observe. I pay attention. And that way I can tell when something is out of the normal. I can Mm. tell when things are different. Something is slightly askew. Doesn't mean a crisis. It just means something's different. And it's time to investigate and ask questions. So when I was able to work in a school and see what the needs were of kids, when I learned about all of the mental health crises, when I learned about cutters and burners, and when I started to learn about vaping, which wasn't a thing when I started in schools, and Mm -hmm. high alcohol by volume concentration and stash devices, this was completely foreign to me Mm -hmm. until I got into a school and I thought, oh my gosh. This is what I'm seeing. And it wasn't just my school. This is all over and everywhere. And I saw it as my responsibility as a parent and as a concerned community member and really as a leader within my community to educate folks about it in a fun way and and to really just open your eyes, not to scare you, not to put up a barrier, but just to be able to show you what's available and what's out there and what our kids are exposed to. Thank you for listening to the penpodcast.com created by Pen for Hire. Thanks to technology, authors are now able to reach their readers in new ways. Letting readers know who you really are, why you wrote the book, and that you welcome their questions and comments goes a long way to building a fan base. Outside of social media, Podcasts, radio, television, newspaper, and magazine interviews reach millions of people every day. How can you get featured in more of these media channels? Working with a public relations specialist will open more doors than you ever thought possible. Visit our website at www.penforhirenyc.com to get a free consultation today. Now back to the interview. Well, so it's pretty much transferring the information and the knowledge that you've acquired and giving it to those that should know it. And if they don't know it, now they have an opportunity to know uh, what they should be looking out for, what they should be paying attention to. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as my time in the schools evolved and and as vapes came about and as drug experimentation took form and throughout the pandemic as well, when there were increased mental health concerns and and increased violence. I really saw it as my ability, my duty to be able to talk to people and Hidden High and Hammered took off. It became this program where Mm -hmm. I can go out to different school districts and I can go out to social services agencies and police departments and really show them what to look for. What are these concerning pieces? What should we be looking for for a kid who might be in crisis? Because the goal is to be able to intervene before that crisis is reached and prevent Mm -hmm. tragedy. Hmm. That's actually pretty interesting. And that program started during the pandemic? Um, I would say 
it evolved. It evolved and took very much more a formal shape. I had to make a little hitch in the giddy up just like everybody else did during the pandemic. And prior to, I was doing a lot of events in person. And it was evolving and I was at, I were adding more pieces to it. And then during the pandemic, when everything switched to a virtual world and everyone was wearing pajamas just below the camera line, I had to come up with a way to deliver this message. So then it turned into a virtual program. So now I offer both virtual and in-person, in-person options, depending on the request of the school district, on the social services provider, on the police department, on the community, whatever suits their needs. And so essentially you would go to a school that would request your services to teach like the superintendents, to teach the teachers, the staff, as well as potential parents that decide that they also want to attend. Uh, so that way they can learn what they should be paying attention to. And hopefully they never have to use the skills that you teach them. But if they ever do, they are aware of something out of the norm. Absolutely. And I wind up hearing back from folks after every event. They had no idea what to look for. And I encourage them, again, this is not to scare you. It's just mm -hmm. meant to open your eyes. It's meant to start a conversation. We can't forget about the art of conversation. It's all about talking right, right. to each other. And then just seeing how things evolve. Because if you're unaware of what's going on and you haven't looked to see what's in schools, marijuana isn't always just that green leafy substance in a Ziploc bag that you shove in your sock drawer. Mm -hmm. That's not what marijuana is anymore. And if you're unaware of it, and if you don't take the time to educate yourself, it could be right in front of you and you could miss it. So like, would you bring like specific props or things to show parents what they should be looking for? Here's the thing. I mean, when I do anything, I go a little bit over the top. <laughs> and when I say over the top, I'm going to say I deliver a good product. So if I show up for an in-person event, I basically mm. set up a retail store. I walk into a school district and I have it set up where I've got tables there for me and I set up a retail store. So I will have one table with a travel display, which is a backpack, a computer and a pencil case. And we'll go through all the different items in there and mm -hmm. see if we can identify indicators of poor lifestyle choices. Then I have one table that's just hidden and the hidden refers to stash devices. Mm -hmm. So those are any items that are meant to hide, deceive or conceal. Like my favorite little Aquafina bottle here. I mean, this is just a water bottle. And in case right, it's a water bottle that's there, you might not notice. But here's the thing. You'd think I'd know where the camera is. But if you unscrew the bottom, there is an entire hidden compartment inside here. Now, if this is in my gym bag, I can throw my keys, a credit card, and a couple bucks in cash in here. Mm -hmm. But a kid could hide whatever they want in here. And would you even think, because it has the weight of a full bottle of water, would you even think to look any further? Like here, we've got a little a little deodorant container here. If you pull off the top, I mean, it smells like deodorant. It's a deodorant container. And yet, if you were to unscrew the bottom, this entire reservoir under here is empty. You can hide whatever you want in there. Oh, wow. How about, they can be big, they can be small. There's a Sharpie marker. Can you hear that? Yeah. There's pills inside there. And yet, if you take the cap off, this will write in pink, just like the colors. It's amazing what's available and what our kids are, are exposed to. Our handy dandy little little cord here. Same thing, you wow. pop it back. And if this were on the floor in the back of mm -hmm. the kid's desk in a bedroom, who's gonna open this up and look at it? Right. But for you and I, like we could put this in the garage and I can hide a spare key to the house and I'd never get locked out again. Mm -hmm. So that's what hidden refers to. Mm.
My next table would be high, and I would talk about drugs, drug culture, drug paraphernalia, focusing mm -hmm. a lot on vapes and vape juices and CBD and THC. Now, y'all are in New York, so I get it. THC is legal now, and every time I come up to Times Square, I'm, like, grateful for the smell of cigarette smoke because I'm like, oh, my gosh, at least he's just smoking cigarettes. Like, it's not me. <laughs> but... Again, if you're a parent and you're unfamiliar with the evolution of this, like these are THC infused edibles. We've got our stoner patch kids. We've got our medicated Skittles. We've got Dynapuffs here. And these are THC carts. THC is that psychotropic property in marijuana mm -hmm. that gets you high. Well, here we go. Doesn't this look just like a marker? Well, this is watermelon mint. This is a disposable vape, no THC in it. But the nicotine concentration in this is incredibly high. Um, vapes look like this is a jewel right here. You'll recognize jewel from being in the news all over the place. Yeah, getting banned all over. Right? But here's the thing, and I'm not sticking up for jewel, but here's the thing. When jewel was prohibited from making any fruit flavored or fun flavored juices, there were a hundred different companies that were all ready to jump right back in that bed. So just because Juul couldn't make it, you've got companies out there making Blue Raz and Banana Ice, and this is a, a different brand called Flare. And mm -hmm. vapes come in every shape and size. And then finally, the last table would be hammered. And hammered refers to high alcohol by volume concentration or alcoholic items with deceptive packaging or alcohol items that are meant to mimic their non-alcoholic counterparts. So like, here's a perfect example right here. We've got our Bang Energy drink and mm. yet our Bang Mix, which is a hard seltzer, 5% alcohol by volume. And yet, isn't it reasonable to think that this might be walking around a school? And yeah, we recognize the label and right. it might not be a healthy lifestyle choice, but what if somebody brings this in? Is anyone going to notice that this is alcohol? And some of these alcoholic items, I mean, some are have higher alcohol by volume concentration. But what's this? You you recognize this. This is yeah. Voss water. Yeah, we get this at our convenience stores. Well, how about this? This is a Voga Pinot Grigio. Pinot Grigio and yet, look at their packaging. Wow. They look almost <laughs> identical. So we're creating this culture where it's super confusing for kids in and of themselves. So here's Hoplark. And this is a craft brewed with mosaic hops. Is there alcohol in this? Well, guess what? This is just sparkling water. My and yet all of that language is so very deceptive. So the program culminates with a game called booze or no booze. When I show all these items and I'm like, you have to make a quick decision as to whether or not there's alcohol or not. And this is a lime tequila soda that's 7% alcohol by volume. It's fun. <laughs> I get oh people elbows and eyes and they're wide-eyed. It's amazing. It's a it's a great time. Wow, that's and and I would assume that's just like the tip of the iceberg with all the different variables and variety and things that are still yet to come. And as you mentioned, you cut off one major. It's like the Hydra. You got like six, seven, eight, fifteen different companies just pop out with their own products. Oof. Right. And if you're a parent. It's it's oh so easy to just kind of bury your head in the sand. You know, if I were to ask you to, to learn a new social media platform or to change the setting on your VCR timer, you'd be like, no, 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 no. Let me get a teenager <laughs> for that. But here's the thing. Like, we can't put our heads in the sand. 
It's too dangerous. There's too much risk out there that a kid is going to fall victim to some of these poor lifestyle choices. Listen, perfect example. Remember I mentioned about cigarette smoke in New York? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. haven't seen a cigarette on a school campus in years. Kids won't pick up cigarettes. I've asked them. They're like, ew, no, they're gross because millions and millions and millions of dollars in advertising and years of education taught kids that cigarettes are gross, they're dirty, they'll give you cancer, they're awful. And right. yet, when you have a flavor like watermelon mint and you use words like vapor and juice, it's difficult to explain to a kid that they're dangerous. So here's the thing. We've got an entire generation of kids who never would have touched nicotine. And yet mm -hmm. here they are now addicted like they were before. And with the nicotine concentrations that are so much higher than they are, than cigarettes, right. now we have to combat addiction amongst social media usage, amongst anxiety post-COVID. Man, we're just like piling on these 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 weights for kids to have to deal with. Mm -hmm. we, we've got to step in and help. Wow, that's actually pretty, I don't want to say like in a negative light, but it's almost empowering to think that there's, you know, somebody out there that's willing to at least do some of the dirty work. Because uh, as you mentioned, sometimes parents, they don't want to be aware. They refuse to believe that their children could be actually doing this or that they might have fallen prey. Uh, to this, they might think like, my child would never do that. They're, they know better than that. They have A's, they have B's. Like, why would they even think about doing that? So that's actually pretty intriguing that you say that because that enables parents to at least be aware that if you're surrounded by that on a constant basis, at some point, your child might be into that. And if you showed all those uh, hidden compartments, they might be trying to outthink you. And, you know, just because they have A's and B's doesn't mean that they're not thinking about that. You know, I love the fact that you said that, that you just used a minute ago, my child would never. On the back cover of the book, it's funny. It says, if you're thinking my child would never, then you're already thinking too late. <laughs> we didn't plan that, I promise. I read the back though, so I, I made sure to touch base <laughs> on that just a little bit though. <laughs> but do you think, do you think in all seriousness, in all seriousness though, that just because they have good grades, children would would immediately turn down or you think it's still a possibility that they might be uh, falling prey to this and it's important to try to at least be aware that this could happen they might fall into an a b honor roll student and you know the earlier that you're aware of what's going on that you know the earlier you can intervene as a parent absolutely this spans across all grades all genders all socioeconomic status all areas of our country it's it's bigger than we ever could have imagined. Here's mm. the thing. I, I've talked about it before. My my son said to me, he's 19 and just walked out the door and tried to be very quiet as he walked out the door. But when he was in high school and he academic phenom, I mean, he's a great kid and a good crowd and a Boy Scout and Eagle Scout, no less. And we I was sitting on the sofa the one night and he says, I, I know where to buy drugs at school. And I don't remember what the conversation was beforehand, but I'm assuming that it probably had, it fit in somewhere. He didn't just randomly say, I know where to buy drugs. Right, right. And I'm in mom mode. So I'm probably in pajamas or some ugly hoodie and like a chocolate on my, on my chest or something. Just, but it took, it, it took me back. I was like, oh my gosh, what do you mean? I mean, I've been a police officer for 25 years. My husband's been a police officer for 25 years. I have all of this display items all around. And my son, who's this good kid in the great crowd, is like, I know where to buy drugs at school. He's like, I don't. 
but I know where to buy it. It doesn't matter who you are and where you are. You are part of a society and you are going mm -hmm. to be exposed to it. And by the way, high school bathrooms are some of the best smelling places on earth. And it's not because you think it is. But here's the thing. All of these vape juices smell like whatever fruit they're advertised as times a thousand. So mm. the pineapple punch and the red mango, it's like a fruity explosion in there. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That was just that was a good pun. <laughs> it's a hence why I decided to write a book. I mean, but it's it's appealing. And they're kids. They're trying to figure out who they want to be. They're trying to get this sense of community, the sense of who they are. Their brains are developing. But that's also what makes this so dangerous because all of this synthetic marijuana, mm -hmm. this, this, this synthesized drug culture, it's not just that plant that was growing in the backyard that people are like, oh, it's safe, it's fine. Here's the problem. Kids are ingesting this 98% THC and having instant seizures and mouth sores and going to the hospital for lung complications and lung transplants. This is dangerous. But they don't understand. They're kids. They're thinking in the moment. They're not thinking right. about the long-term ramifications. Mm. I know you're thinking about bathrooms right now. I get it. I understand. <laughs> no, but I'm also thinking about the reality, you know, you know, because as a kid, you know, you're you're not thinking about like, hey, if I pop this Ollie, I might snap my ankle or whatever. They're definitely not going to be thinking about, you know, like, oh, you know, my friend who has all A's, he gave me this product to use or whatever. He tells me that he uses it uh, to relax and this and that. They're not necessarily thinking like this is the same thing that Officer Best said not to use. They're just thinking, oh, yeah, if such and such is using it, then it must be good. You know, or I feel good afterwards, or I feel calm afterwards, or I just cannot sit in this class another minute. Like I need to get out and I need to go for a walk. And, I, and I'm telling you, they're not letting these vapes out of their sight. And this is only one of, my gosh, 50 different varieties that I must have. This just happened to be the only one that I grabbed. They're everywhere. And they're small. They're easy to hide. And if you're unfamiliar with what to look like, what what they look like, it's mm -hmm. so easy to miss them. I mean, goodness, this one right here, you could have it laying out on a desk. And it's funny too. This one has a rubber band wrapped around it, and kind of like I mentioned earlier, with some of the mental health concerns. I mean, are you aware if kids have a lot of rubber bands laying around? Now, granted, it could be incredibly innocuous and just a rubber band. So mm -hmm. that's one of the things I want to get across is that. Sometimes, sometimes a water bottle is just a water bottle. Okay. Right, not right. everything is drugs and drug paraphernalia and not all right, kids right. are doing drugs. But for kids with suicidal ideation, if they've got rubber bands laying around, they'll put a rubber band around their wrist and they'll flick the rubber bands to inflict a little bit of pain on their wrist. By the mm. way, it works. It hurts. But if you have suicidal ideations and you have you don't have good coping skills and you don't have a good strong support network, you're looking for ways that you can self-medicate. You're looking for ways to cope. You're looking for something that's going to make you feel better in the moment. And it might not be healthy for the longer term. Same thing with erasers. You know, we think that there's nothing wrong with having erasers around. What if there's no pencils that go with it? Well, much like our cutters that we might be familiar with, kids who have razor blades or a pair of scissors or yeah. look to find anything sharp from a ruler that they can use to cut themselves, they're also using using um, erasers to burn themselves and create that friction. Again, to be able to create that pain. 
There's eating disorders, suicidal ideation, addiction to caffeine, to cell phones, to pornography. Our kids are so much more advanced than we were at their mm -hmm. age. Mm -hmm. Holy moly, it's scary what they have access to. We need to step in and we need to know what it is that we're looking for so that we can help them, so that we can encourage those good, healthy lifestyle choices, so that we can make sure that we're filling them with good coping skills and a good, strong team, a network. Now, if there was somebody that was a part of like a school district or, you know, minivan mom organization or something of that nature, and they did want to uh, book your services, you know, where can they reach out to you in order to either at least start that conversation? So, okay, here's the, I hope that y'all can see my name up on the screen because it's funny, as simple as my name is, I get all sorts of misspellings, but I would encourage you first to visit my website. It's, it's super easy, www.bethjsanborn.com. Can't get any easier than that. And then because I am an old head, because sometimes those grades come through, Facebook is my primary social media. You can find me there, Beth Sanborn. I'm also on LinkedIn, Dr. Beth J. Sanborn. This is my passion. And I encourage you, I don't care what format it is. You can Google me. You can Google mm -hmm. Hidden High and Hammered. If you can find me anywhere online, reach out to me anyway. However you can find me, reach out to me. I'm responsive. Thank you for listening to the penpodcast.com produced by Pen for Hire. Those who fail to plan, plan to fail. While many writers are capable of writing entire novels without ever planning or getting writer's block, most need some kind of structure. Taking the raw thoughts out of your head and organizing them before or during the writing process can drastically improve quality and efficiency. Visit our website at www.penforhirenyc.com to get a free consultation on our author coaching services today. And now back to the interview. And then in regards to having, uh, as you mentioned, like almost like the cherry on top with the book, you know, do you feel that having that book done was worth that process? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you have an idea, but you just need a little bit of help, I, I could not recommend the process anymore. It's amazing. I, I just... I, all of these thoughts, and, and I'm so busy because I love what I do, and I love being able to help my kids, my family, my communities, my schools, their families. I just needed a little bit of a push and a prod mm -hmm. to be able to get this process started, to stay on a timeline, because much like everybody else, you've got a gazillion things that need to be done on your to-do yep. list. Like, I think maybe I'll decide to learn to crochet today. Anything to put that process off. Oh, my goodness. So, that's so true. I know, right? So being able to write this book, to have it come to, from an idea to an actual honest to goodness, real deal product that I can hold in my hand, it's something that I am so proud of. I love it. It means the world to me because again, it helps to forward our industry. And when I talk about Officer Beth and being an SRO, mm -hmm. there's like 15 to 20,000 of me across the country. Oh so it's goodness. not just me that's doing this. When you have school resource officers who are properly selected, properly trained, and properly equipped, you've got an amazing team that's there to help your kids. Mm. Mm. That's actually pretty, pretty cool that you actually value that process. Now, <clears throat> for those that might not know, how long did it take for you to go from the conception of actually wanting to have your book done 
to actually having it physically in your hand? Did it take you a long time? Did it take you a short time? Did you did you like the back and forth that you went through? Because, you know, there's editors, there's, you know, beta readers and all that. I want all those good juicy details. <laughs> I value every single step of the process, even where I had to expose myself, figuratively speaking, and be super vulnerable and, and share stories that, you know, are, are uncomfortable to talk about. As far as the process time, about six months. Oh. I worked. I mean, I work, work, work. So even when I was at home, I grabbed my computer. If I had some downtime, if there were a few minutes of spare time, I was writing, I was editing, I was helping with formatting and then realizing I was screwing everything up. And I realized, <laughs> okay, you should stop doing what you're doing. Um, <laughs> but it's really, I, I used to joke around like, my, shower time is like my time. Like I, it's, it's when I think, it's when I come up with some of my best ideas and I have this giant piece of glass in my shower that's eight feet by four feet. Don't ask any mm -hmm. questions about that. But, but it's the shower is like, it's my time to think and come up with article topics and research ideas and writing a book. And it, I would call them shower notes because I would just write in the steam and I would grab oh. my phone to take a picture. And it was a way for me to kind of like clear everything out of my head. Hence the a tankless water heater helps with that nice long showers. And I could actually sit and I could think and I could come up with ideas and I could come up with notes and help to fill in the outline that, that became the structure and format of the book. I am so grateful for the information that I got from Pen for Hire to be able to help do this process. It, it's a process to say like, oh, anybody can write. Well, good luck with that. You know, yes, <laughs> anybody can write. But it does. It, it takes it takes dedication. It takes time. It takes devotion. It takes having a story and having a desire to tell that story. Mm. And do you think that because you went through that process that it enabled you to become almost like a next a next level speaker, a next level individual that would get either booked more often or you're much more of a credible and uh, credible uh, individual when you do go to school because now you have a book attached to your name. Yes, I, I do. Here's the really cool thing about it. I like to do things that other people won't. Mm. So, I mean, a cop with a master's degree and then a cop with a doctorate and then a cop who teaches or who will speak on a national stage or who speaks with the media, who appears on the news, who writes a book. Like, I do those things because I can. I challenge myself. I will never shy away from a challenge. I've done an Ironman. I've gone skydiving. I've gone diving with great white sharks. You want to take it? I will take your challenge. Oh my goodness, that's actually so impressive. That's more impressive than all the CV stuff that you've done. Oh my goodness, great white. Oh my lord, that's, I, that's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. And, you know, because you've done things that are outside the box of what people would deem like, oh, you know, that's not a cop uh, thing to do. You know, cops aren't going out there teaching. They're not trying to bridge communities. They're not trying to help parents, you know, and all that. Plus, by doing the book, do you think that it allows you that when you do have uh, the opportunity to go on media, which you've gone on a lot of media, do you think that it allows you to pretty much like touch with almost every person in that room? Well, here's the thing. Every industry speaks its own language. Mm. 
So I can speak the language of law enforcement. I can speak the language of education. And sometimes it's a pretty valuable skill to be able to translate between the two mm -hmm. and say, this is what you provide, this is what you provide, and this is what you can expect to have in return. And when I can talk to educators and I can use language that appeals to them that they understand, and I've learned the acronyms and I've learned the culture of school buildings and the subcultures of each of the individual school buildings, it's really amazing. And, and I'm not going to lie, having those two letters, doctor, when you talk with educators, listen, we all have our own biases. Yeah, but yeah. when I show up as Officer Sanborn, I'm perceived in one way. Mm -hmm. And then when I announce later that I'm Dr. Sanborn as well, they're like, oh. I'm like, yeah, what do you mean? Um, <laughs> what, what do you mean? So I can speak to them. And guess what? I'm a mom. I've got two kids, two teenagers, a 19-year-old and a 16-year-old. I'm a parent of kids in high school. Well, not my son, but my daughter's in high school. So I can talk from that respect, too. I don't drive a minivan, but I'm a minivan mom. <laughs> I love our kids and I want what's best for them. Man, that's, that's actually pretty cool that you can touch base with a large majority of people on so many different playing fields and to be able to walk into a room as like almost what you mentioned earlier that, you know, with certain people, you're somebody else and it's not because you have multi-personality, but it's just because they bring that uh, side of you. And to be able to walk into like a news media room and to be able to speak to the journalists that have been to journalism school and they understand, you know, how complicated it can be to try to pursue a master's and you could just say, yeah, I know exactly how that feels, you know, or, you know, I somebody might have tried to be a cop and they couldn't get through, you know, the training and you could be like, I understand how that feels. And somebody, you know, having a, a bad mom day, and you're like, I know exactly how that feels. So that's actually pretty cool. And, and to even... I think about the fact that the reason that you're also doing, you know, all this work is not just for passion, but because you want to actually make an impact. You know, you're desiring to help people realize what is going on, that kids aren't trying to become, you know, the menace to society as they think they do or want to become. But in reality, they're just making, you know, temporary bad decisions. And as long as they're aware as a parent that, you know, it's just a temporary bad decision, what's going on, what could be actually the root cause of what's going on and to actually attack that, not attack the actual uh, child or the teenager, you know, that can make a, a much, much more meaningful society. I think that's really going to be, you're, you would see that when you read the book, you're going to see exactly that. We look at the why behind the behaviors. Because it's so easy to say that if a crime exists, then an arrest will be made. But not if, mm. we, not if we understand the why behind it. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do. We start to look at kids and we, we start to look at their, their home life and their school life and their, and their social circles and, and just who they are as individuals mm. and, and find out why and use it as a teachable moment. That, see, that was a phrase that educators love. It's a teachable moment. <laughs> We want kids to make mistakes. I mean, mm -hmm. we don't want anyone to get hurt and we don't want anything to be irreparable, but it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to fail. Mm -hmm. It's okay mm -hmm. to get hurt. We need to step back a little bit and allow kids the freedom to be able to make some mistakes, but with some control. I, I kind of call myself like, 
like the bumpers in a bowling alley, like for the bumper bowling for, for the parents of the little kids in there. Yeah, we yeah. just want those bowling balls to keep rolling forward towards the pins. But I'm just going to make sure that you kind of so you don't end up in the alley, in the gutter, in the, in in the, the gutter, gutter. In the alley, either way. <laughs> I just want to make sure that you're still making forward progress. Mm -hmm. But no two kids have the same definition of success. Right. No two kids have the same route to make them successful. And the best part about this is that it's almost like a puzzle. Oh my gosh, I just used the puzzle analogy again. <laughs> Figuring out what the root and what the definition of success is for each kid. It's a challenge. Hmm. That's actually super, super, super uh, analytical and precise because, you know, children love challenges and they, they don't love making mistakes. And uh, unfortunately, when they make a mistake, sometimes they feel like everything is like over, the world is collapsing in on them, you know, and parents, sometimes they feel that when they make a mistake, they're failing as a parent, like, oh my goodness, my, my child's into this, like, what did I do wrong? I'm a, I'm a terrible parent. I, I you know, I, I raised this mistake or I raised this child who's constantly making mistakes when in reality, it's, it's not, I, I want to say it's almost like it's not that deep, <laughs> um, but it's not that big of an impact on their current uh, future if it can be navigated in a way that you can understand what's going on and how to take constructive measures in order to like be like that bumper, which is actually pretty cool that you, you said that analogy, because if any parent is going through that situation, they should just take their child to the bowling alley. <laughs> I mean, just just like you said, you know, show me the person who hasn't made a mistake. Show me the person who hasn't made a bad decision. I mean, I've made like a half a dozen bad decisions today. Uh, it's never okay to give up on a kid, mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. It's never okay. It is never too late. And I know that there's going to be parents out there who are frustrated, who are throwing their hands up, who are like, I just, I, I can't do it anymore. I don't have the answers. I'm done. I'm done. And it's never okay. But here's the really cool thing. You might not have the answer. Find someone else who has the answer. Pull mm. in on that team. Talk with your school. Talk with your kid's favorite teacher, their guidance counselor, the principal, your school resource officer. We're not swooping in. Talk to your pediatrician. Talk to your child's best friend's parent. Talk to their coach. A great question I tell parents to ask their kids during a moment when things are fine, cool, easy, relaxed, chill, ask, when something good or funny happens, who's the first person that you go to to tell? Okay, keep that information up there. Because when you do have those concerns, when you start to see concerning behaviors, or you get that nagging pit in your stomach that you think something's wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on it, trust your gut, trust your intuition, go to that person. Go to that person because that person that your kid is so inclined to tell good stuff to might be the same person they tell when bad stuff happens. Mm. Dropping gems. Well, thank you so much for dropping just a tremendous amount of knowledge, a tremendous amount of information. Uh, please, once again, let everybody know where they can book you for those kind those kind of conversations where uh, they need schools, they need school districts, minivan moms that might need some empowerment or might need some encouragement, might need to take some of your observation skills, your analytical skills, your detective skills and put it to use. Hopefully again, 
may they never need to use it but as long as they have those tools hopefully things can be better let everybody know where they can uh, do that yes please i encourage you you look me up on the web bethjsanborn.com or if you just can't quite seem to get the spelling of my name right just google hidden high and hammered look for that camouflage colored puzzle piece or head over to Amazon, look up The Missing Piece, your school resource officer as an ally in parenting. Again, it's a camouflage color scheme. You'll see those puzzle pieces there. Look for me, reach out. Five-star reviews are always nice too, but I feel like I'd be asking a bit too much. That being said, again, I'm very receptive. I'm very responsive. If you can find a way to reach out to me, I will respond. Well, perfect. Thank you so much for everything that you have done, everything that you're currently doing and everything that you will be doing, because there needs to be more people like you trying to make a difference every step of the way. So uh, once again, thank you for taking the time out of your day, putting your makeup on after going to the gym. So we very much appreciate that uh, small token of sacrifice that you've made uh, to give back. Everybody make sure to check her out, not just the book, but also uh, what she's providing of value for students, for kids, for parents, for uh, teachers, for schools, etc. And if you like this, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Pen uh, Podcast and Pen for Hire. And if you have one last thing um, to let people know, what would their number one takeaway be from today's interview? I didn't prepare for that question. You know what? I say it around the police station. I say it wherever I am. Be kind to each other. Be good mm. people. Be kind mm. to each other. Be kind to yourself. It's okay. We're going to get through this. Ooh, perfect ending with that. Take care and have a great rest of your night.